Welcome to the seventh episode in an old season of Amazing Race Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Holmstone, and joining me as always is the Canadian who we sometimes have to yell at because he's so laid back, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And joining me for our hundredth episode together is the lady whose children were lured into the oubliette by the promise of dangling for a little while, Michelle Fierce Denovan. Woohoo! One hundred! It's our hundredth episode together. I did actually think it was going to be next one, but I've remembered we've not recorded episode 400 yet, so it is this one. <laughs> wow. You know, you said to me a few episodes ago, it is an absolute pain in the ass to do um, to do all these stats. You are 100% correct, it is. <laughs> and this is such a fun episode. I was watching this earlier today just going, oh my god, I forgot how fun this episode is. Not fun for the contestants, I don't think. <laughs> no, but this is a really fun episode, and this is the first episode in a few that I have been to a lot of the locations for. In fact, because my trip to Munich was when I did the surprise trip in 2017, I didn't know I was going to Munich beforehand, and I went to everywhere they went to in Munich in this episode, I think, deliberately. <laughs> so previously, seven teams continued racing through Morocco, Ian and Flo fought over a taxi, but Terry and Ian won the leg thanks to a fast forward. Andre and Damon were dropped off in the middle of nowhere and detained, but it wasn't enough to get them eliminated, as that was the fate of Aaron and Ariane. And in Phil's intro for the first time in five episodes now, Phil did not mention how old and useless Terry and Ian were, just how argumentative they are with each other. Which is progress. And the teams mingled together, and there is lots of belly dancing at the pit stop for some reason. (laughs) There is, it's very odd. Yeah, Drew has a lot of fun with it. Something else I did notice in the in the actual titles is that one of the twins has a plaster on his shoulder. And really? there's no yet yeah, there's no no relevance to it in the entire season or anything. Because their intro is playing volleyball. I think it's Drew. Just one of them has a plaster on his shoulder. Hmm. I never noticed. Yeah. It's these things that you need me to notice for you. I know Ian doesn't have any manners. Since he said, We're going to the airport, open the trunk to the taxi driver that was it okay be direct be concise keep it simple when communicating with drivers whose first language is not english <laughs> so talking of terry and ian they depart at three twenty-five a.m with flo and zach at five nineteen, ken and gerard at five twenty, derek and drew at five twenty-seven, john vito and jill at five thirty-two, and andre and david at 704 and teams have to now fly to munich and find the friedensengel and find casperley there who is a puppet who has their next clue and they have a single dollar for this leg of the race. That that puppet is creepy. Yeah, it is. It's really creepy. Casperlay was not there when I went there, for the record. Yeah. Casperlay seems like one of the rejected puppets for Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. It's genuinely creepy. Those old-fashioned puppets generally are creepy, how they've been made. Um, I love how Flo says, let's not lose 20 hours of this day trying to find the way out of where they are. And there's rabid cats. So every random cat and dog on the street are rabid, obviously. Of course. Why else would they be out? <laughs> oh, God. Why did they bother giving them $1? What's $1 doing? Like, what, so they can say they gave them something? Yeah, it's just it's just a big F you to the teams, basically. And I hope you've got cash, because you might need it. Yeah, I think it's, or or the production's like, oh, we just got a call, we have to cut down our budget by 100 bucks, especially after uh, the insurance company got really, really angry with us from fixing all of those cars. So, yeah, we're only going to give you guys each a dollar. I think it was Andre who said, oh, could have at least just given us four quarters instead. But how did Andre and Damon have enough money to pay for that cab when they said it was 300 No, 1000 they still have money left over from previous legs. It's not Amazing Race Canada. They don't snatch all the money after the after a leg. Because it was a thousand whatever currency was. A thousand Durham. Yes. Yeah. How much American is that? Thirty dollars, I think they said in the episode. No, I thought okay. it was a hundred. Let me check. I don't think they said a number like thirty. They were saying it was three hundred Ks away, were they saying? It's hundred and twelve dollars. Yeah, so it was probably a hundred in the episode then. Yeah, that's what I thought I heard Andre say. He's like, oh, that's like $100. Ian says that if they run a clean race, they will be successful and get towards the back end of the race. And then in a very interesting scene at the airport, they debate between flying to Zurich first or Paris. 
And I wanted to know whether you guys picked up on the same thing I did about that choice. Did you spot anything interesting about those two airports? They're not in Germany? Well, neither of them are in Germany, but more importantly, one of those is not the Paris airport that people should want to fly to. Instead, it was Paris Orly. Oh, I, I, that's what I was thinking that during the episode was, is that Charles de Gaulle or Orly they're talking about in Paris? There were three little letters at the bottom of it that said O-R-L. Yeah, that'd be Orly. Paris Orly is not the Paris airport you'd want to fly to or you'd expect to fly to. Mm. It's much more difficult to um, to fly through Orly than it is to fly through Charles de Gaulle. As they'll find out in, what, is it season 10 with the traffic to Charles de Gaulle? Yeah. As it happens, Lufthansa do now fly to Munich from uh, from Orly, but I wouldn't put money on there being too many flights to Munich from Paris Orly. Whereas Zurich, there definitely will be. Yeah, Orly and Charles de Gaulle are both pretty massive airports now. Yeah, I've just done a quick uh, Google on it, and Orly used to be the large airport for Paris, but obviously Charles de Gaulle superseded it. But knowing what I know about European airports, I would probably given the choice, fly through Zurich than I would through Orly. Especially with how close you would be to Munich, too. Yeah. If in doubt with um, flying to Zurich, you could probably get a train from there to Munich. Do you think they'd be allowed to, to take a train instead of fly from Zurich when the clue says to fly, you, have to, you must now fly to Munich? This comes up in my notes later when Andre and David go to actual Charles de Gaulle, because I would not have sat there for 15 hours or whatever and waited for a plane. I would have 100% found the TGV uh, from the Gardenor and gone straight to Munich. Because you could definitely connect to Munich from the Gardenor. 100%. Yeah, and it wouldn't be that long of a train ride, would it? No, it'll be a couple of hours, but it's better than spending 15 hours in in Charles de Gaulle, not knowing whether you're going to be actually on the next train. Well, my general rule of thumb is assume the racers aren't idiots and that they had to fly there and that's why they're stuck in Paris. Andre and Damon are very much open to getting penalties. <laughs> I would have chanced it, personally, because I can't really see production turning around and going, well, you didn't exactly fly all the way, so we're just going to give you a penalty for that. I can't see them doing that. I think they'd probably take it in the spirit it was intended to. In fact, would, would teams get a penalty if they were doing cross-continental flights and they took a train part of the way? Because... That's a grey area when it comes to stuff like, I think Lynn and Carlin eventually in season 10 end up transferring from one Paris airport to another. Yeah, that's how they lose the season. Would they get a penalty for doing that? I don't think they would. I don't think they would. So maybe Andre and Damon would have got away with it. I would have certainly looked into trains, personally, as soon as you hit Europe. Just look for a train, because the trains are usually pretty good, especially in Western Europe. Well, it's interesting with the clue, because it usually says make your way to this country. There's not too many times where the train would be faster than the plane, so it depends if it actually defined and said, no, you must fly here. You cannot take any other form of transportation Mm -hmm. to exit the country. The other element of it is visas. That would be the only sticking point, because from your experience, is it just one visa for the entirety of the EU, or is it a visa for each country. For me, it was visa-free. Like yeah. nothing gets, yeah, nothing gets, well, just when you initially enter Europe, you get one stamp, and then once you're in, then you can do whatever you want. That's what I was thinking. So the visas shouldn't be an issue in theory, assuming the rules are the same in 2002. Yeah, like how you just get, st- like Andre and Damon would have just been stamped when they got into Paris, and then they'd be good to get to Switzerland from there. Or Germany, pardon me. Most of this like takes place, or a couple of these episodes take place in Switzerland, so I've had Switzerland on the brain a lot more. <laughs> I would definitely have looked at trains if I were Andre and Damon as soon as I hit Europe, because if you're going to struggle to get any planes in Europe, and like a lot of the teams in this episode say, oh, but all the flights in Europe are booked up, well, look at the other methods then. You're going to probably at least be able to find a train, the TGV, when you're in France, is very, very good, and it at least stretches out to towards Belgium. So you could probably go to... You could definitely get a train from the Gardenor to Brussels, and then probably another train on to Munich from there, for example. Yeah, and I don't think it would take too much. Yeah, it definitely wouldn't be 15 hours. No. The only other element of it is the fact that, obviously, 
they would be using their own leg money for it rather than using the credit card. Yeah, I think at that point you'd probably want to take that risk. Yeah, if technically it doesn't gain them an advantage by doing that on the other teams, then yeah, I would do that personally. Maybe they didn't want to take the train because they were afraid they were going to sleep through the Munich stop. Yeah, that would never happen though, would it? Uh, it was interesting when Ken and Gerard check out of the pit stop, how they th- Gerard says, oh, me and Ken are under the radar. Sometimes they let other teams get ahead of them, and no one's really looking at them as a big threat. And I'm thinking, haven't they won? Like, if you exclude, if you exclude, yeah, three legs, and if you exclude the fast forward, they're always, then they'd probably be number two for all of the other legs. But that's the interesting mm. thing about the fast forward is that it really obscures the strength of the teams. I think Joe and Bill said that they would have won something ridiculous like four or five legs in season one if you excluded fast forwards. Yeah, I can believe that. So fast forwards do a really good job of covering up who the the real threatening team is. And, I mean, this is an argument as to why fast forwards should be every leg, is it not? Yeah, the only downside is then you don't you can't really chase down any record. Like in the first four seasons, it's downright impossible to try and get to seven or eight leg wins for the season. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. So we get a massive flight scramble as teams go from Morocco to then either Zurich or Paris, or I think there's a team that goes via Frankfurt as well. They more luck with Frankfurt than uh, than Abby and Ryan did. Yeah. Kenneth Gerard told the best thing to do is go via Casablanca. All the other three teams at the airport do the same, because Terry and Ian have already left Morocco, and they leave at 6.05am. Flo and Zach don't even arrive at the airport till 5.43, and Terry and Ian are the ones flying to Zurich. Andre and Damon are told all the flights for today are booked, and it is only 7.45am, and the four teams flying to Casablanca are told that all flights to Europe are overbooked. The Andre and Damon scene in America in the Marrakesh airport is just one of my favorite scenes because <laughs> it's the only time all season where they get frustrated with each other. Because so you get a lot of insight to Damon being really thorough and and just relaxed about the whole situation, and then Andre is just a bit more intense. I don't know if it has to do with being arrested just fifteen hours earlier, but then Andre's like, "She told us it's full. He told us it's full." He, and she told us it's full, and Damon's like, well, what about that guy in the corner there? <laughs> <laughs> and Andre's like, oh, he, he, he just does not want to listen, which is, I think, a screen cap and a meme I've used like 12 times, if not more, on my blog over the years. He just does not want to listen. I don't think I would ever do what Flo did and, you know, tell the booking agent not to put another team on the flight. Oh, please, Michelle, you're more competitive than both of us. I am, but I don't think I'd say that. I think it's just a bit mean. If we were on camera right now, you'd see how much I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. I don't believe for a second that if you were in a competitive environment and you had the option of getting an advantage on another team that you would not have done what floated. After all the other teams had already booked their tickets. Yeah. Yeah, I like how Andre and Damon are, are just... Are right behind Flo in line. They're like, huh, oh, I wonder what Flo is saying to the agent and why she's speaking in Italian the whole time. <laughs> I do love the fact that between last episode and this episode, we've had Flo speak fluent French in Morocco and Flo speak fluent Italian in Morocco. And it's the one advantage that we see from Flo all season, basically, is her pretty impressive language skills. Yeah, and then Zach does fairly well with, uh, with Spanish. We saw that at the start of the season. This is why, even despite their reputation as being a really terribly performing team, Flo and Zach actually do really well average-wise this season. Yeah, you don't really... It's not until we get down to five teams here that they start to slip a bit further down the pack. And uh, we get the first uh, the first scene of Flo and Drew flirting with each other <laughs> at the airport. And then Drew's tells Flo, like, well, what are you talking about? You're great at being nasty towards everyone else in the race. Hmm. And then Flo gets equally nasty because, or lives up to the nasty reputation because then she says, oh, Andre and Damon are just going to show up and just get whatever flight we're going to be on. Their journey of riding the other teams to stay ahead is now going to come to an end. Those were her exact words. 
I must admit, I really, really love how they tell the story of Flo and Drew in the next two episodes. Because this episode's brilliant for it, and next episode's brilliant for it. The editors absolutely mess with Flo and Drew, and it's brilliant. Hmm. Or pardon me, Flo says, Andre and Damon don't do their own thing. It's over for them. Like, Flo is going to be uh, judge and jury in terms of Andre and Damon progressing through the race. On the plus side for Derek and Drew and Kenny Gerard, they no longer have to pretend that they like Andre and Damon. Yeah, just for some reason, all the other teams are in on like, oh, Andre and Damon never do their own thing. They just follow everybody. And then and then once it comes down to a last, the last task before a pit stop, then they break off and claim that lead. And it has been a really good strategy. I must say, ever since Andre and Damon started the strategy in like four, it has worked out really well for them. They're just going to hit a lot of bad luck this leg. Yeah, and last leg. Because lest we forget, the reason that they're an hour and a half behind at the start of this leg is because they were imprisoned in Morocco. And then I like when after Flo has told the has told, tells the agent to banish Andre and Damon from the flight, that Andre just casually goes up to Flo and says, Oh, what's up, Flo? And she just completely ignores him, doesn't say a word to him. Thinking, ooh, not good. Rude. Yeah, rude. <laughs> yeah, not, not good. Just F flat out rude. So the teams of brothers are on standby for the Air France flight as a John Vito and Jill, and they leave at 11.45am. Flo and Zach are left behind and have to wait till 3pm, going via Frankfurt. And then Andre and Damon get a flight to Paris at 3.15, but have no onward ticket. Terry and Ian land in Munich at 5.30. Ian says he's lived a lot longer than everyone else in the race, and everyone has the perspective of a 25-year-old. Including Ken and Gerard. <laughs> oh, especially Ken and Gerard. I mean, you think 25 years of age, you immediately think Ken and Gerard. Yeah, well, no wonder Ken is able to hook up with Flo in the next leg. Yeah, good point. Which may or may not be our banner for next leg. So once teams get to the Frieden's angle, they find the clue from Casperlet, and it is one of my favourite passive-aggressive clues in Amazing Race history. Guess what? He's actually Austrian, so you're going to Austria, kids. <laughs> I just love the tone of the clue at the uh, Frieden's angle, where they're just genuinely really passive-aggressive with them, going, guess what? You're not staying in Germany for now. Yeah, get out. Get Yeah, get out. <laughs> we don't care. Just go Just go to Austria. So teams are told that Kasperlet is actually Austrian, and they have to head to Innsbruck in Austria to find the next clue at the Anasula, which is a big column in the centre of Innsbruck. John Vito and Jill, Derek and Drew and Kenny Gerard land at 8pm, and then Andre and Damon get a stroke of luck in Paris when they find a woman who works for Lufthansa who tries to help them get out of Paris tonight. Sadly, they're told ticketing is closed. At which point I just have three more words in my notes, which is get a train. What was funny when, uh, before, like, right before Andre and Damon snagged that flight when them and Flo and Sack are told to wait another eight hours until three o'clock for a couple more flights? How just when they bunker in and settle in and know it's going to be a while, how Andre, how Andre's like, man, I just want to leave Casablanca or leave Morocco so damn bad. And I'm thinking, well, no kidding. You just got arrested yesterday. You probably do want to leave Morocco so damn bad. And then like, and then Andre, even before they get, before he gets to Paris, he says, I'm never traveling again. And I'm thinking, I wonder if he decided for sure that he's never traveling again the second that the Paris mishap happened. So Flo and Zach land at 10.30pm, and once in Innsbruck, teams find the detour clue, which is sled or skate. And in sled, teams have to ride with a bobsled team on an Olympic track down an Olympic course. However, there are only two sleds available, and the reset time is around 20 minutes. In skate, teams have to take part in an ice skating relay with professional pair of skaters to receive their next clue. The hours of operation for both are 8am to 7.30pm. Those poor skaters who probably waited all night and no one came to them. Yeah. If this clue aired today, they wouldn't even have mentioned the skaters. It would have just been like an active route info. And I can also confirm, having done the train from Munich to uh, Salzburg, that stops in Innsbruck, it's probably only about an hour train journey, that. Innsbruck is one of the first major stops on uh, on that route, and the, oh. the Munich to Salzburg route's only about an hour and a half because I did do Salzburg while I was in Munich. So Terry and Ian missed out on the 
bobsled by probably four hours, I would guess. Yeah, Terry and Ian land at 5.30 and then have to make their way to Munich. And off the top of my head, it's about half an hour from the Munich airport to the centre of Munich. So they probably got to Casperle about 6, 6.15-ish. And they were probably on the train for about seven, let I guess, because Munich's quite compact. So yeah, they probably missed they probably missed the uh, the detour by by about an hour, an hour and a half, let I guess. Well, it was, it was pitch black outside too, so I'm guessing if it was summertime, it might have been slightly lighter. Because Terry pulls out her watch and says what the hours of operation were. Then Ian just has a pa- just pauses and says, "You're kidding." <laughs> <laughs> Jill says only Ian is ahead of them, and Gerard does a, a pretty good impression of Ian at the airport. Yeah, when they're all, or when all the teams are, yeah, when they're all waiting for that train to Innsbruck with John Vito and Jill and oh, and Ken and Gerard and Derek and Drew, and then, yeah, Gerard's like, I don't know if they made it to uh, Innsbruck. They might still be at a bar in Casablanca. Terry, I know we'll get out of here. Can we another drink? Yeah, play it again, Sam. Um, that would have been fun. That would have been fun to go down on a sled. I think it definitely would be fun to do that. I don't think it would be fun to do the other thing they do at that um, that Olympic track, which is the John Montgomery School of Sledding. Or if they had a skeleton. Yeah, i.e. going down on essentially a tea tray face first. Jesus. <laughs> it would have been the same track too that they would have used. It is the same track. Hundred percent, is the same track. They always use the same uh, the same track for uh, bobsled and uh, skeleton. I like how much the during this whole fight flight scramble, how it's supposed to be. Oh, Derek and Drew and Ken and Gerard working together on one side, and then John Vito and Jill and Flo and Zach working together for flights. But then John Vito and Jill effectively ditch Flo and Zach in Morocco, and Derek and Drew and Ken and Gerard work on getting the flight together to Munich. How Derek and Drew are able to get off the plane first, and like, are we supposed to still wait for Ken and Gerard? Like, how how much longer does this alliance go on for? Do you think by the end of this episode, Derek and Drew become the villains of the season? Villains? I don't know. Oh, because of the whole not refusing to help Terry and Ian thing. Yeah, they have a few slightly rougher moments towards the end of this episode with not helping Terry and Ian after Terry's literally just helped them a lot. But we'll get to that in a bit. And also majorly mocking Ken and Gerard for disparaging their driving abilities. And I think it does continue next episode as well. We get a few more kind of villainous notes from from Derek and Drew in the next episode. I think normally they would have the villain reputation, but the thing is, a lot of the audience still has not warmed up to Terry and Ian yet. Like, they were still really, really disliked at the time. And then I think furthermore, Flo's antics were coming a lot more to the forefront, especially by episode seven. So I think because of those two factors, Derek and Drew never get the, have never been labeled as villains. Yeah, I think on a rewatch, Derek and Drew come across as a lot more villainous than you would think. It's something I'm going to be keeping an eye on because I haven't really felt much of a villain edit from anyone, but Derek and Drew start getting the the workings of it in this episode and next episode, I'd say. You think? I wouldn't call them a villain, really. They're not villains in the same way that you would think of it now, but they're villains in 2002 terms. They're a bit more manipulative than you may remember them being on first mm. watch. Well, I mean, it's it's different too, because they start out as victims in this season, right? Like they have four, they have five teams who decide... They're going to commit to an alliance together for the next three episodes completely against them. So it's tough to be like, eh, how can the team be the villains when it was five versus one or five versus two until the end of episode four? Bearing in mind, less than two years before this season filmed, there was an ejection on UK Big Brother for someone writing something down. And it became national news, and there were tabloid campaigns to basically firebomb this guy's house for the crime of persuading people to nominate others by writing things down on a hidden piece of paper. Jesus. That is a genuinely real thing. (laughs) Oh, brother. It's a completely different era of television, but I would say if you rewatch this in 2002, you would maybe see Derek and Drew as villains more than you'd think you would. 
they're kind of 2002 villains beginning in this episode <laughs> and i did also notice that before terry and ian actually got to the bobside place they did stop for dinner because terry is holding a mcdonald's cup then they grab number one at the sledding track. I think they also grabbed the number one combo at McDonald's. Yeah. Terry had a rather large soft drink in uh, in a holder that she was running up the hill with. Yeah, and a Royale with cheese. And Flo and Zach say that they're that far behind that they want to take the fast forward this time. Flo is worried that Andre and Dame will also go for it, but little does she know that they're stuck in Paris until 6.45am. For the fast forward, teams must head to the Englischer Garten and flag down a surfer on the Iceback River. And Flo and Zach have quite the journey that night because they're <laughs> they have to be up by quarter after six to go to find the, as Flo would say, the stupid Eisenbach. So they they even list what time it is when they start searching for a hotel, and it's after one o'clock in the morning, and they have to be up in five hours. Yeah, and they just start. They keep walking around. What seems like they're walking around half of Munich, <laughs> looking for a hotel. And what currency would they have used at that time, Michael? Would it have already been the euro? Yeah, it would have been euros. Euros kicked in 99, I think. So Flo didn't want to go cheaper than 25 euros for the night. And I'm thinking, it's tough to find any place for cheaper than 25 euros in Munich. I mean, you're in Germany. That's, like, that's one of the more expensive countries in Europe. I'm thinking, I stay at hostels where I pay more than... 25 euros a couple times so i don't i don't see how you could get any cheaper than 25 i think i would agree with flow in terms of if i find a place for under 25 euros in especially in a major central european city i'm gonna think it's gonna be pretty gross too i had forgotten this entire fight so it did make me laugh a lot when i was re-watching it yeah yeah and then from personal experience like yeah if you go under 25 you're not going to have the cleanest four hours of sleep. <laughs> You're probably going to get some bed bugs or some really, really drunk people staying there with you. You're definitely not going to get your room. own room. Yeah, in the same room. Yeah. So Derek and Drew claim number two, and Ken and Gerard grab number three upon their suggestion. And Terry and Ian are sleeping nearby and get a nice wake up call at 1.45 a.m. from the rest of the teams. And for some reason, we get now a temporary alliance between Ken and Gerard, Derek and Drew, and John Vito and Jill because they all agreed to have their cab show up at the same time to the bobsled hill. And they all took the train there together. So I just like to point that out because these alliances are shifting a lot in these two episodes, or I guess over the past three or four episodes, you could say, ever since Andre and Damon joined the Brotherhood and now have been excommunicated from the Brotherhood. So for the fast-forward, Flo and Zach do get to the Englischer Garten at 7am and flag down the surfer to claim the fast-forward. And he does seem to have it on his back in the wetsuit. I have been to the Englischer Garten. I have seen the ice pack where they uh, where they do this. It is, as the name suggests, the German for Ice River, because it is freezing the water in the Englischer Garten. It is a known landmark, and the people who surf in there are for want of a better term, fucking crazy. There are a lot of them, <laughs> from my experience. I do feel quite sorry for the surfer that he would have probably had to surf on there all day if teams didn't claim that fast forward. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he just really likes surfing. Because the, the ice pack is, is actually very, very busy. People only stay on it about one minute at a time and then tag out to let someone else have a go. It'd be funny if he just got injured and then they show up there and it's just a guy sitting on the side of the river. You don't really have to flag him down. You just go up to him. <laughs> I wonder if they had extras. I was going to say, I do wonder whether there was a group of people who um, who would have been able to have the clue and they just swapped them out. Mm. Is it only one spot that you can actually surf on or are there just a few spots down the river? So the ice pack itself is a two-kilometre-long man-made river but the, oh, so there'd be a the few bit spots. where yeah but the bit where they surf on is under a bridge in the english garden so okay. it, there's only one spot because they they have like a man-made wave pool for want of a better term on the ice pack which right. is man-made itself under the bridge in the english garden where where flo and zach went to uh to do the fast forward i didn't think it was man-made i thought it was a natural naturally occurring phenomenon but i'm, I'm disappointed now I've literally just googled it to make sure I'm right with it, but it is a man-made river, and the uh, they have like a wave pool under under one of the bridges where a lot of the surfing happens. 
Well, I'm disappointed now. Apparently, it's been um, been surfed by River Surfers since 1972. Hmm. So the more you know. But yeah, when I found out I was going to Munich, I did end up um, I did end up going to the English Garden because it's a very nice spot in uh, in the centre of Munich. It's one of the the largest urban parks in the world. But uh, I did make sure to go to the uh, to the bit of the ice back where they did the fast forward, just so I could say I've been. Of course. I don't mean to backtrack, but when Terry and Ian opened up the detour clue, it's one of my favorite interactions between them because Ian just brags by, because the Casper Lay they were just each hand a clue, but this is the one in Innsbruck is the first actual clue box they get to look at. And now Ian's like, one, two, three, four, five, six, we're in first. And then Terry just cuts in and says, oh, it doesn't mean anything. And then, mm-hmm. and then when she goes to open the clue, it's like she's still a bit angry because when she opens the clue, she actually hits Ian in the chest and he's like, oh, ouch. <laughs> Thinking she may or may not have done that slightly on purpose or, or subconsciously. She 100% did that on purpose. <laughs> yeah, it's like, opens the clue so hard. Ooh, oh, there's an elbow. <laughs> <laughs> and I like how Flo and Zach do figure out... Like the fast forward strategy is pretty clear by this point. I know we've said it all, all the way dating back to uh, Gene and Sylvia and Tremel and Talisha's exits at the start of the season. But if you know you're in the bottom two or three teams, you got to go for the fast forward because if they're because if the team behind you goes for it, then now you're the one that's guaranteed to be going home. And also on top of that, there are only three teams now at this point in the season who haven't claimed a fast forward. Yeah, it's just John Vito and Jill, Flo and Zach, and Andre and Damon. So it's getting to the point where you're pretty much guaranteed a leg win if you play your cards right here. Yeah, and another thing too is if they figure it's going to be the 5-4-3 non-elimination routine, then you'd want to use it this leg too instead of wasting it on a non-elimination round. Yeah. So once teams complete their respective detours... We do, of course, have the bobsled itself warning people that the bobsled had departed 10 seconds after it was departed. Yeah. You just saw it go down the hill in case in, in case you're blind and the bobsled is gone. They then have to ride the gondola Nordcat to the Seagruber station where they will find their next clue. Hours of operation, 8am to 5pm. Ken starts worrying about the heights and speed and jokes to Gerard that they should go skating, at which point he is the second race of this episode to get hit by his partner. <laughs> yeah, lots of physical violence this episode. Of course, Jonathan Baker's just sat at home going, physical violence in Germany. Hit partner when wearing helmet. Oh, we, we, we forgot to mention the biggest thing when Flo and Zach get the fast forward. The iconic uh, transition of Flo's hysterical, over-the-top laughing face that has been screen-capped endlessly on the internet. By you, mainly. Yeah, but but um, Nanu on Survivor Sucks also likes to use this photo quite frequently, too. I don't know why they picked that half-second of Flo laughing when Phil is narrating where the pit stop is, but, but, but they throw that in there. It must have made them laugh as much as it made me laugh. On the subject of the fast-forward, it's it's a cool cultural fast-forward, this one, because it is something that they very much do at the English Garden. However, in more recent series, they probably would have made them surf it themselves to pick up the clip. Exactly, there's nothing to do. Yeah, you always see that argument online of, oh, the fast-forwards were just a waste of time in the early seasons anyway because all they did was show up to this random place, grab the clue, and then they're gone. They didn't have to do anything to get the fast-forward like they do now. And I'm thinking, well, they didn't have to do anything because it was, it was always a super cultural aspect to it. When you think of the street typists in Mexico City or the Baladorias in Leg 2 or those classic British tanks in Leg 3. I don't know about the tile puzzle so much in Porto and Leg 4, but like the, you know, the Moroccan car- carpet shop that they had for Leg 6. Like these are all very cultural aspects to it rather than it being, oh, eat this gigantic sheep's head or or shave your head and stuff like that it's like no this was just more like show up to this thing that's very culturally relevant yeah they use the fast forwards in earlier seasons at least when we get one per leg to add an additional bit of culture basically there's nothing else to most of the fast forwards other than highlighting another aspect of the culture of the country that they're in 
they wouldn't have been able to to surf that anyway. No, they the insurance company probably wouldn't have had a bit of a problem with them doing that, but they maybe would have done something like flag down a surfer and get them to grab the clue from the bridge or something for you. Yeah, maybe get, in a, get on a paddleboard or something, I don't know. Yeah, it would have been something like that, because the water is very shallow in the ice pack, as in like 40 centimetres apparently. Mm-hmm. So Andre and Damon finally land in Munich at 8.20am. Ken and Gerard and John Vito and Jill's taxis don't turn up. They are apparently up the mountain without a clue. Ken and Gerard get one, but then form a loose alliance with John Vito and Jill and order them a taxi as well. And Andre and Damon choose not to use a fast forward as they suspect that someone else will already have done it. Smart. Smart move, actually. I mean, I probably would have still gambled on it because it's not that far from the Frieden's angle, but you never know. They, yeah, they would look like such dumbasses if they said, oh, we're not going to go for the fast forward, so we assume everyone else has taken it. And then it'd be completely unclaimed, and I think they would have avoided, they definitely would have avoided elimination had they been able to claim the fast forward this leg. Yeah, the, the Frieden's angle to the English Garten is not actually that far. So they would have been able to claim the fast forward by like 9 or 9.30, and then they just had to drive to, they would have just had to drive to Fusen from there. And then based on the times of departure, they were only, what, three? They would have only claimed the fast forward three hours after Flo and Zach did. Yeah, they definitely, yeah, Ken and Gerard would have been likely been out. It is 1.7 kilometers from the Freedom's Angle to the English Garten. Yeah, so Andre and Damon definitely would have been, would have survived this leg had they been able to claim the fast forward. So once teams get to the gondola, they find out that it is a roadblock, which is who welcomes the chance to dangle for a while. In this roadblock, one team member must abseil from a suspended gondola 230 feet above the ground to the surface of the mountain to find their next clue, and it is Terry, Drew, Jill, and Gerard doing this roadblock. And we find out that Ian has a fear of heights, and I'm thinking, how do you have a fear of heights when you were freaking Batman going down the side of the cliff at Cabo yeah. de Broca? He was jumping... He just didn't he look. Was jump- he just he was didn't look. He just jumped... He jumped like 50, you know, he was jumped like 10 feet uh, horizontally when he was going down that cliff. So yeah, there's not actually a lot to talk about with this roadblock, because everyone does it in the order they arrive anyway. Other than the cheap and flimsy harness that, where Drew, or I think it was Drew, said, uh, I'm kind of glad that Terry went first, because that rope did not seem secure. It's nice. And then even Ken is making fun of Terry, because he yells out to Terry like, oh, watch out for that step. <laughs> so once teams get the clue they have to now drive themselves to Bullockburg Castle the pit stop for this leg of the race the last teams check in will be eliminated the pit stop is in the shadow of Neuschwanstein Castle which is the inspiration for Sleeping Beauty's Castle and inspiration for future route markers in the Amazing Race too. it is and we get a, we get a scene of Flo and Zach driving to the pit stop where Flo says oh if we took the fast forward and we still get last, it'd be really depressing. And then Zach's like, well, we got last, and I guess it wasn't meant to meant to be. So you still get that complete contrast between Flo just assuming they're going to be dead last, even with the fast forward, on a major equalizer too, no less. And Zach's like, well, I guess if we're last, that's, that's okay. But if we're first, that'd be awesome too. He's too laid back. Way too laid back. I would love to see Michelle have to race with someone like Zach. It would drive you insane, <laughs> <Way> I think. <laughs> totally. Um, you know when Terry showed the twins that they'd left their clue there? Yeah. At the gondola, and, and one of the twins said, I, I don't know which one it was, said, um, you know, you, I'm not going to be indebted to Terry for find, for helping me find that clue again. Um, no, you don't, you don't have to be indebted, but just being nice in future would be good, you know? This is what I mean about their kind of shadow villain edit coming in in this episode, because he didn't have to be indebted to her, but he also didn't have to be a dick to her. And the fact that he immediately turns around and is a bit nasty to her is not a good look, because in a season full of shifting alliances and stuff, Derek and Drew could rely on Terry and Ian helping them again Mm. if they just show them the map or the guidebook on the gondola. Because they're doing now else. That's the thing, they're all in one gondola, and he properly hides the map and the guidebook from her. Well, I think the exact words were, we don't give any information away for free. Well, he, he wouldn't have been, because 
she made sure he knew where he was going in the first place. That's the thing that Derek and Drew seem to be forgetting here, and I don't hate Derek and Drew, I don't hate anyone in this season, but it's infuriating in a scene like this where Terry and Ian, again, are very nice. They might be super competitive and super intense, but they are going out of their way to help other people, and Derek and Drew just throw it right back in their faces straight away. And, I mean, you wouldn't want it to come back and bite you with this sort of stuff, because if Derek and Drew ever needed Terry and Ian's help with something again, Terry would turn around and tell him to go fuck himself. That would be a scene. Probably in those exact words. <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense from a, a purely nice person point of view for Derek and Drew to just be dicks to Terry and Ian here. Especially when you're on the horizon of teams starting to get saved by non-eliminations. There's an increased chance of this sort of stuff coming back to bite you now. Yeah, All they had to do was just share the map with Terry and Ian for like a minute and that's it. That's all they would have had to do. And it's not like they were vulnerable to elimination because the, it's just been Terry Nian, Derek and Drew, Ken Gerard, and John Vino and Jill traveling together for pretty much the whole day. <laughs> they haven't seen Flo and Zach or Andre and Damon, so they know they have quite the lead. And then the pit stop was only, what, 60 or 70 miles away? Something like that, yeah. So, they're, yeah, they're pretty confident they're not going home, and yet here it's like, nope, we're not going to share the map with you, Terry and Ian, just because all the other teams, we don't really like you. That's the only reason I can think of why Derek and Drew wouldn't share info in that situation, is that they're not big Terry and Ian fans. Because Derek and Drew have been willing to align with Ken and Gerard, Andre and Damon, John Vito and Jill to a lesser extent, and by next episode they're going to be fully aligned with Flo and Zach. It's just they have this phobia of working with Terry and Ian. Terry and Ian weren't even a part of the twin hunt. There's no reason for Derek and Drew to be dissing them other than all the teams just have fun with mocking Terry and Ian and lying to them. I mean, we're going to see this at the start of the next episode where teams really have fun with lying to Terry and Ian. Yeah. So, yeah, Flo and Zach checking in first, and they win the iconic prize of a Kodak EasyShare digital camera each. And then Andre and Damon manage to sleep through their stop at Innsbruck on the train. Derek and Drew decide to go alone with the drive. No one expects them to be good with directions, mainly because they haven't been for the rest of the season. And they then have a proper fight with each other over said directions. Screaming. Oh, it's so funny. Jeez. This isn't the first fight we've had from them over directions as well. We had one in like two. I remember when like me and my sister were watching this season almost 20 years ago, and just how we'd make fun of Derek's very precise language when he's yelling at Drew. <laughs> Where he's like, do you have a plan at all on getting there? It shows fucking Fusen on the fucking Fusen on the fucking map in the book. <laughs> I want you to pinpoint the exact location of where I need to go in the map. <laughs> it's like, Jesus Christ, guys. <laughs> and then Ken and Gerard get a flat tire and continue to drive on it, which is always a good idea. I have never seen a tire so mangled in my it's entire ruined. life. It's totally gone. I wonder what they drove over. Like we hear we hear it on the audio, like poof. It's like somebody held up a huge spike on the middle of the road. It must have been something like a rock, but the problem is when you continue driving on a tire that's already burst, it then starts ruining the rest of the tire. Yeah, the rim, yeah. And what was funny is that they tried they're like, Oh, I wonder if we can get to the pit stop by driving on this flat tire and then they're like, oh, there's a team behind us. Who, who's going to see that we have a flat tire? Oh, it's Terry and Ian. And they just start laughing. And Terry's like, oh, no, Ken and Gerard have a flat. If Derek and Drew had helped me with the book, I think I would tell Ken and Gerard about the flat tire, but we're not making that mistake again. I think this is the episode where Ken and Gerard really start becoming fan favorites as well. We've obviously had glimpses of it like the punting incident in Leg 3, but this is the first one where where you can really tell that they are having an absolute blast. Well, we just, I mean, they were psyching out so many teams on the roadblock where, where I think it was Derek, or Drew said, it's not a big deal, Derek, just just climb on down. And Ken jumps and says, it's a really big deal. It's a really big deal going down that gondola rope. It's scary. You should quit now. So it is... Wonder Twins, Derek and Drew, who check in second, with John Vito and Jill in third, Terry and Ian in fourth, and Ken and Gerard with a brilliant reaction in fifth. Well, they actually had to pull into the mechanic shop. Like, it's one of my favorite scenes of the season, too, where they 
pull in, they're like, ah, we need you to take a look at this. <laughs> they just wait for the mechanic's reaction. And they just all start laughing. The yeah. mechanic and Ken and Gerard both yeah. just start absolutely howling at the situation they're in. Oh, no. But of course, Ken and Gerard are safe because Andre and Damon don't even get to do a detour or a roadblock. They're sent immediately to the pit stop from the Anasula and they are eliminated from the race. Yeah, well, Andre and Damon, the reason why they don't even do the detour roadblock is I'm going to assume by the time they get to Innsbruck, because I'm also going to assume it takes a while to backtrack after you sleep through your stop, where I think they overslept all the way for quite a while, where they were told to backtrack to Salzburg, and then from Salzburg they would have to get onto another train to Innsbruck. So I'm going to guess by the time they got to Innsbruck, even though the hours of operation for the detour are, what, 8 to 7.30, that I'm going to guess it had to be 5 p.m. already because that's when the gondola shut down. So I'm going to assume production made the call right then that they wouldn't have made it to the roadblock in time. So like, you know what? You're not going to have enough time to get to the detour, do the T-tour, get to the roadblock, and do the roadblock by 5 p.m. So you're going to be sent straight to the pit stop. Yeah, I think that train route doesn't have too many stops. I think there's only about four stops between Munich and Salzburg, so they probably had to go to Salzburg and then get the train in the opposite direction. Yeah, and that takes a while to backtrack. It shows you how exhausted they were, though, considering that they completely slept through the stop. Not like they weren't, they didn't even stare. It was the voice coming on the intercom saying, Oh, you're now in Innsbruck. Get off the train, Andre and Damon. <laughs> nope. They are they are knocked out. And they wanted to show that first responders are people too. And they give Phil his dollar back. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> we have a present for you, Phil. Here's the dollar back for this leg of the race. The best thing is, Phil obviously was not warned that this was going to be happening because his reaction is hilarious. <laughs> He's just so confused. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's one of the very few times where he's taken by surprise at the pit stop. So, how do you want to eulogize Andre and Damon? Underrated comedic value and rule breakers, frequent rule breakers. They love a rule break and they evidently love a law break. <laughs> it would have been great if they didn't get sent directly to the pit stop so that they would have to try and complete the rest of the leg and be like oh you're at the gondola you now have to wait till 8am <laughs> god because they would have been close to the record for the team to finish for this behind the second to last place team do you think that this leg was meant to be a non-elimination no I don't think so really why would they put it so close to the end then because traditionally, as Logan's mentioned a few times this season, the non-elimination started at six. But there's one there's one less this season, so if you're going to keep up the same pattern, it would be five, four, three. Yeah, but if you kept up the same pattern, then you would have actually done it at seven, because you eliminate five teams first and then start non-eliminating people. Yeah. But I, I mean, like, they always, they always like to have the last... I guess you guys are going from, like, the front... Counting from the front, for me, I count it from the end where it's like, okay, you know, the last four eliminations alternate with non-elimination. So because there's 12 teams, there's three, therefore it would be the last three legs that they would alternate. And it's even tougher to believe that this could have been a non-elimination leg because then why would it be 5-5-3 five, five, to end the season as well? Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Instead of doing a non-elimination next week, you do a non-elimination this week. And you do 6, 5, and then 3 as your non-eliminations. Yeah. Because if this was meant to be a non-elimination, and can I point out when Phil does say at the end of next leg, this is the first of three predetermined non-eliminations, that is recorded after the fact. 100% you can hear the audio difference. But we also don't hear anyone say the last team to check in will be eliminated in this episode. Every leg up until this point, we hear someone read out the pit stop clue and say the last team's check-in will be eliminated. You don't hear it in this episode. You only mm. hear it from Phil. But if this was meant to be a non-elimination, and I don't know whether it is, I'm just kind of throwing it out there playing devil's advocate and stuff, then they genuinely could not have got Andre and Damon to catch up properly. It's a James and Abba situation where they're so far behind that you just send them straight to the pit stop. You can't justify making this a non-elimination and then somehow making them be able to catch up. Yeah, they made it a non-elimination for James and Abba, though. Yeah, I know. But the difference is, 
if Andre and Damon then have to wait till the next morning to do that detour, then everyone else will have checked out and probably have been in Switzerland by that point. Yeah, but then I think you just run into the same situation as you would this leg, where at a certain point Andre and Damon would just be sent directly to the next pit stop. Like they would check in and then at the st- that'd be funny though, open up the clue at the start of the next leg. Go directly to the... <laughs> it's like, well, why, why are we even here? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it came out that this was meant to be a non-elimination and they looked at it and went, yeah, there's no way that we can even make this a plausible episode next week. Let's just eliminate them and do a non-elim next week. Yeah, yeah, I just can't I just can't buy into that with the, how the non-elimination pattern is for this season, for season four in the 12-team format. The other element of this is the fact that non-eliminating people twice in a row at five is a bit weird. I think they just wanted to shake that up after three seasons. Because uh, clearly in the first two seasons, everyone knew, okay, once we're down to the last four eliminations leading up to the finale, it's just going to be six, six, five, five, four, four, three, three. So we know the pattern. What's the point of even trying? So I think they had to switch it up for season three where it's like, okay, we can't do five five four four three three because then everyone's just gonna be completely lazy for a couple of these legs just like chris and alex where we're like eh, let's let turnwell check in ahead of us we know we can't be eliminated this time all i'm saying is that i really wouldn't be surprised if this was meant to be a non-elim no one would ever confirm that 19 years after the fact that that's the problem yeah it's just tough to buy into considering the longer filming schedule and the more freedom they did have in the first four seasons. But things weren't really, it's not like now where, now that they always just have the leg always take place all in the same city, that Phil can just go out to the airport and say, yeah, you're gone, you're out of the race. So next time, teams give Ian the runaround, Flo and Zach get questioned on their loyalty to each other, and Terry's pants fall down. Pants on the ground, pants on the ground, looking like a fool with their pants on the ground. The iconic Terry Dean quote next week. <laughs> you guys got anything else you want to say about this episode? No, all done. Yay. Anything, Saunders? Uh, nope. Seven elimination legs in a row we covered. It, it ties the record with next season. <laughs> so, thank you for listening to our Amazing Race recap. We'll be back next week to recap episode number eight. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram where we are TV Warriors. You can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at logsuperquacky. Michelle is bear three and I'm MJ Helmstone. Logan and I are also back every Wednesday to recap Vista Mall, Oregon this week with special guest David Bindley. See you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next episode. Bye.